kind of like that acoustic, don't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love the way that our, our praise team and our, our, or just our worship band and praise team can do things like that, just kind of switch it up every once in a while. That's just really, really nice. Before we get into this new series, um, the sermon this morning, I want to give you a couple of quick, quick updates. Um, first, you know, I just want to stop before we get into anything else and just thank God for a few things. Um, number one, God has been truly uh, doing some amazing things within the church. A lot of new people are coming. God is, be, you know, is growing the church numerically, which is wonderful. But more than that, more than, more than that kind of growth, what we've always cared more about here at Grace Chapel is spiritual growth. And uh, through our series, I Want to Be With the Rain Ends, one of the things we did uh, about a, two weeks ago is we just, we took a day, one day, and we just stopped and I, I made myself available. And I always make myself available to pray with people, but this day I, I fasted and I prayed and, um, and had people coming to the office and, you know, we're just laying hands on people and praying for them. And, and it's been amazing to hear the results of that, um, how God is literally healing people um, and moving in physical ways, healing people physically uh, from, from diseases they've had or things they've been going through. And that's been exciting to hear that. Marriages um, being saved. Um, people who are on the brink of being, getting divorced and, and just how God has been moving in their lives. And um, just some amazing, just amazing things that God is doing. And sometimes, you know, I hear it, but you don't. And uh, I'd like to get some testimonies, not this morning, but as, as time goes on here, to how God is truly moving in the lives of people here at Grace Chapel. What I want to do this morning, before I get into maybe a couple more things, just stop for a moment and pray and thank God. Can we do that? Just bow our heads and, and just thank Him. Father God, we come before You. And God, we just want to take this moment to stop at this time and to worship You through prayer to thank you, God, for the healing that we see in people's lives, the physical healing that you're bringing about as you transform us from the inside out, Lord God. We believe, we have faith, God, that you can heal, and we see that healing taking place in people's lives, and so we want to pause and thank you for it. Father, we thank you for the emotional healing that we see in people's lives, for the way that you're intervening as people are overcoming addictions and, and difficulties in their past. Lord God, as we walk through that series, I want to be where the rain ends, and we, we look into our own hearts and we see that we have a God who lives in us and has the power to heal us from the inside out, Lord God. We want to stop and praise you for that and thank you for that. And Father, we want to just give you praise and thanks for the way you've been growing this church. Father, for the, for the new lives that have been coming in, for people, for the lives that have, have been saved, Lord God, through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, not just physical, but spiritual. For people over the past month who've given their lives to you for the very first time and are a part of this body, and have made such an impact on this body in such a short period of time, Lord God, we just want to stop and thank you and praise you for the movement of the Spirit of God that we see in this church. We pray that it continues. Father, that you would bring about a true revival in our hearts. And through this series, Lord, through the, through the Ten Commandments, Lord God, as we go through this series, that we would not be swept along by our culture, that we would not just go along with everything that goes on around us, but Father God, that we would take a step back and realize who you are, the significance of who you are. You are holy. You are righteous. You are a God worthy of our praise, worthy of our thanks 
worthy of our worship. And I pray, dear God, with, all of our, with my heart, with all of our hearts together, that you would receive a, ble- a blessing from all of us. You'd receive our praise. You receive our thanks throughout this series, Lord God, as you move in our lives and move us and transform us into the men and women you want us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Two quick things. Number one, we, 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 did a, we started 20, 2010 and 2010 a few months ago the beginning of the summer, I think it was April or April or May, we said we're going to start giving individually, each person in the church, $20.10 more in 2010, $20.10 more on top of our regular tithe. And we're going to do, give that to missions. We're going to do some things. We've drilled wells. We've sent, we sent a, a crate over to Nigeria. There's all kinds of things that we've done. A lot of that money went locally here to people in our own body. More than ever, more money we've ever spent before on people within our own body because of our economic crisis that we're facing. We've invested in the lives of people in our community, in our church, and around the world with that money. But what I'd like to do, if we could, over the rest of this year, for the rest of this year, is we have missionaries on the ground in other countries who are working their hearts out and struggling financially because of the crisis here in the United States. People dropping off, people not being able to send as much as they could. So for the rest of this year, what I'd like to do is really, re- if, you, if you haven't given to that 2010, you've kind of forgotten about it a little bit because I haven't brought it, I, I didn't bring it up. And I would like to commit the rest of 2010, the 2010 money, to our missionaries who we've sent out from this church. So as you write your check for 2010, that money, dollar for dollar, will go to our missionaries to cover their shortfalls and make sure that we're taking care of them because God is truly moving and God will continue to move if we continue to bless them and invest in their lives and pray for them. And this, I I just got back from a, a conference um, very difficult place to go to a conference. It was Honolulu, Hawaii. And uh, I don't, I'm not tan. People say, why aren't you tan? Because I spent most of my time shivering in some conference center listening to people. Um, but one of the things that, and I'll, I'll share more as through the series, one of the things that came out of, this, um, out of this conference was I sat down with a gentleman. He's a businessman who spent, who spent $38 million of his own money in Kenya to build a 17,000-acre farm. So he invested $38 million so far of his own money to build one of the largest farms in Africa, one of the, the leading fish farmers. He, he, is the, he is the biggest distributor of fish farming equipment and fish farming food and fish. He explained a lot of, to me about fish farming when we were there. But we spent time together. And, and I, as I sat with him and listened to him, he wants to spread this all over Africa. But here is a man who spent $38 million of his own money to invest in farming in Africa. And it was like a kindred spirit talking to this gentleman because it's like war, sharing war stories. When you work in Africa, you certainly have war stories. And for us to connect, we're going to stay connected. He's going to be shipping fish to us in, in Nigeria because his fish, uh, I won't get into it now, but he, a lot, I learned a lot about fish farming. You just can't get, grab a bunch of fish from where you are and stick them in a pond and it works. So I learned a lot from him. But he also said that his farm is set up now. And if God blesses him, so so let's pray for this man, okay? Um, If God blesses his farm in Kenya, they'll produce $100 million a year. That's how much he will make, $100 million a year to be able to spread over the rest of the world, to invest in his own farm, but also to, to spread out and invest in people in other places around Africa doing the same thing that he's doing. So we got to continue to pray that God will bless him and encourage him as well. But I, I, I tell you that because we have people on the ground in, Ken, in, in Nigeria who need to be, who need our prayers, who need our blessing and need our financial support to continue to build what we have going on there because we're doing something similar in, in, in Nigeria 
not 17,000 acres, but you know what? Who knows in the years to come how large our farm will be and our complex will be in Nigeria. Um, but God is truly moving all around the world. And I want to make sure we don't forget our own folks and what they're doing for us. So make sure that, uh, make sure that you remember your 2010 and we'll give it to our missionaries. Now, have you noticed that our society is really struggling? Our society, our, our, our culture is really going through a struggle. We, as, as, a, as a country, we're, we don't really know who we are anymore. We're, we're divided. There's a lot of division in our country. Men are confused. Women are confused. Children are confused. We, we, we live in this, this culture of confusion. And so our society is drifting. They begin to drift. They have no foundation. Everything is relative. Everything is relative to them. There is no truth. Truth has been replaced by opinion and perspective and you know, all these kinds of things. How I feel. What matters is how I feel. So the foundation of truth is being taken away. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we should not have that same struggle. We really shouldn't be struggling with our identity or, 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 or uh, uh, truth, those kinds of things. We should not be struggling with the same thing that our world struggles with because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a biblical worldview. Our biblical worldview, if I, I talk about biblical worldview, you say, what is a biblical worldview? It's right here. We base what we believe upon the word of God, not upon the whims of culture. And so we shouldn't be as much caught up in, in this confusion. Our truth is based on the word of God. We have a foundation. We're going to be studying the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments have, have really been a foundation for our, for our culture, our country, for years. But that's changing. That's beginning to change. And we see it in our society. Many, many in our culture try to avoid them now, try to, try to pretend they don't exist. They ignore them. There was a study done. James Patterson and Peter Kim did some research on ethics some research on values, and they published the results in a book that, is, that was called The Day America Told the Truth. The Day America Told the Truth. I want to share some of the results. 74% of Americans will steal from those who won't miss it. 64% will lie for convenience as long as no one is hurt. 93% say they, they alone decide moral issues, basing their decisions on their own experiences or whims. 84% say they would break the rules of their own religion. 81% have violated a law they felt to be inappropriate. And 30% say they would, only 30% say they'd be willing to die for their religious beliefs or God, which I find completely outrageous. And you know why? Because if 93% will, will, uh, will, will decide by themselves on their own moral issues, their own experiences or whims, that's how they decide their moral issues, then 23% of the 30% are lying about dying for their faith, okay? Because if you're, if you're just coming up and you're basing your morals and you're basing your whole thing on your own opinions or experiences or whims, there's no way from my, this is just me, Jeff Greer talking, there's no way 30% of the American people are dying um, for their religious beliefs. A few years ago, Ted Turner, who is the creator of CNN and the, uh, the chairman of... Um, of the Turner Broadcasting System, declared that the Ten Commandments were outdated. He said, ah, the, the Ten Commandments are outdated. 
He, he said they weren't revel, uh, uh, relevant to our, our, our modern culture uh, and to the current global problems such as overpopulation. And he goes on to say this to the audience he was speaking to. I bet no one here even pays much attention to them because they are too old. He said, commandments are out. And so Ted replaced them with his own 10 voluntary initiatives. 10 voluntary initiatives. They included this. Helping the downtrodden. Thanks, Ted, for your incredible insight. Loving and respecting the earth. Um, and my favorite, limiting families to two children. You know, father, you know, father Ted, yes, sir, we're going to only have two children. You know what I mean? So his 10 initiatives, making sure that we don't overpopulate so we all can only have two children. And he concluded by calling Christians a religion of losers. How, you know, because, of course, he's so tolerant. People who, are, like, who tout tolerance for everything else, and they come out and say, well, yeah, Christianity is a religion of losers. Former British Prime Minister John Major told his nation after a really horrendous, um, horrific crime against a young boy that they needed to get back to the basics. He got up and said, we, after this terrible tragedy that kind of captured their culture, he said, we need to get back to the basics. But then he never told anybody what the basics were or where to go to find out what the basics are. And as many of you can probably imagine, that whole his whole initiative pretty much died. It collapsed. Soon afterwards, there was a wave of violence that spurred another member of parliament to, to say that we needed something like the Ten Commandments. <laughs> you know, you know they're, they're going through turmoil, so they need something like, something like the Ten Commandments because, of course, we all know the Ten Commandments are kind of outdated and the Ten Commandments have no relevance to our modern culture. So that's the way the world is looking at it. You know, the Ten Commandments, you know, we, we have these ten, ten initiatives, you know, voluntary initiatives or something like the Ten Commandments or we need to get back to the basics, blah, 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 whatever that means. That's the way the world's looking at it. Christians on the other side of the coin try to avoid the Ten Commandments by, uh, by talking about how we're, uh, how we're saved by grace. Now, don't get me wrong, we are saved by grace. But they hide behind the, the, their, the, 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 uh, their thought process by hiding behind, in a sense, grace. You know, we're saved by grace, not by law, so therefore we don't need to be bothered with the Ten Commandments. Our modern church culture is literally drifting into a world of gray. People love to say, well, that's kind of a gray area. You ever notice that more and more as we go on, things are getting more and more gray? That, that's more of a gray area. And this is more of a, things that used to be black and white are now kind of, a, kind of a gray area. And we're using our freedom in Jesus Christ as an excuse to push the limits instead of lead us to a life of holiness. Instead of looking at grace and saying, My, the grace of God, the grace that God has given me. See, you don't understand grace if you don't understand law. And so what we, instead of saying, the grace that God has given me, I've been saved by grace, instead of that leading to holiness, it leads, it leads to us testing the boundaries. Hiding behind grace. You know, we abuse, we have freedom in Christ, right? But we abuse our freedom to drink. And so we put ourselves in a position where we're in no place to minister to a culture that is drowning in alcohol and drug abuse. I just read an article last week that said 40% of working women abuse alcohol and drugs. 40% of working women 
And they said that they, this statistic just really came out because women are more secretive in what they do. Men will come out now and just admit, you know, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I drink, I'm an alcoholic and everything. But women have to kind of keep it up now at work and keep up the thing at home. And they feel like if I, if I come out and talk about this, I, you know, everything's going to fall apart because I hold it all together. So 40%, they said, which I think is probably low, 40% said that they struggle with alcohol abuse and drug abuse. We as the church need to be in a place where we can minister and reach out and speak to that issue. But much of the time we can't because we ourselves struggle in that issue. We, we use our freedom in Christ to abuse alcohol, to abuse drugs. And so therefore, it's very difficult for that, us then to go to a culture who is hurting in those areas and minister to them. Students will love to ask the question. I've been asked this question for years, and I know the youth pastors get asked this question. How far can I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend? And they're asking a question to test the limits, not, to le- not, not because they desire purity in their relationship. They want to know how far, what, the, what can I get away with? Under, grace, under the grace of God, what can I get away with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Not because they seek the purity of God. How, God, how would you have me live in this relationship? How would you have me handle myself in this relationship? It's more to find out where are the boundaries, and, I'll, and I can get right, right on the boundary line. They're testing the limits instead of seeking purity. You know, we accept almost any kind of sexual behavior in our culture, not based upon biblical principles, but based upon uh, societal influence. We are influenced. We go along, we get swept along with whatever culture tells us, and we go, and we, we have actually, if you line up Christians' views, if you did a study, there's a lot of studies done on what Christians believe and what people outside of the church believe. And Christians are almost in alignment with what people outside of the church believe. There's not much difference there. What on earth has happened that we would not be able to distinct? God, if you, if, you're in, if you are saved by grace, then you have been sanctified. You have been set apart for God, for his use. So if that's the case and we're saved by grace, then how on earth can we have the same viewpoints as others who don't know Christ at all? It's because our culture, our societal pressure, the pressure is pushing down on us and we're just kind of drifting, going right along with it. We, 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 are, we are just as likely, my friends, to be morally led by, by, by Paul in accounting as we are the Apostle Paul. We're just, as, we're just as likely to be led morally by Paul in accounting as we are by the Apostle Paul. And therein lies the problem. His opinion has the same weight as God's opinion. And so we sit back in our culture and, and, and we, we think, well, you know, we're just kind of we're just going to go, go along with the plan, go along with the flow. And, you know, when I'm in a car, when you're in a car and you get lost, say you're in a car, you get lost. You don't really know where you're going. It's a really great thing to pull out the map. OK, or your GPS. But back when, back years and years ago, they had maps, these things, you pulled them out and you opened them up. And you read them, you kind of looked at the street. I know most of you don't remember that. But they were these things called maps. And when, you're, when I'm lost, I look at the map. If I'm on a ship, okay, if we're all on a ship together and we get lost at sea, you break out the compass, right? You use a compass trying to figure out where you're going. Now, you could, you could just ask all the sailors on the ship which direction they think we should go. What do you guys think? Anybody? Any, any, any opinions? Any perspectives? Anybody? Someone's just stop and get a feeling. I feel like we should go that direction. 
Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go that direction. So we can listen to the guys on the ship with their feelings, opinions, and thoughts and whatever else. Or, or when you're lost, you could actually ask the guy who's kind of walking down the street, doesn't really look, look like he knows where he's going. Or you could ask your six-year-old in the back seat where you think you should go. But honestly, I think your better chance is to get out the map or get out the compass. Now, my son Joshua, is, and he, uh, he sounds like he knows exactly where he's going if we're lost. He sits in the back seat in his car seat and he'll go, go straight, Dad. Go straight. Right, go right. He just said, go left. And sometimes I actually listen to him. I'm like, what am I listening to a six-year-old for? Because he says it with such conviction. No, 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 right here, right here, he tells me, right. It's like my wife. My wife actually does know what she's, she's the navigator, but he's picking up on her and he's kind of telling me, because I just, when I get a car with my wife, I don't, anybody else like that? You just, when you're on a trip, when I'm by myself, I'm okay. When my wife's in the car, she's the navigator, I just turn off. I, if, if I'm driving up to, do I go left here? And I'm in my driveway. I ask her if I have to go left into the driveway. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I just shut my mind off. But, you know, you could ask your six-year-old if, if you want to, to which direction you should go. But I think it better if you get out your map or get out the compass. You know, s- some think that because we are not under law, that we're under grace, that we're free to do as we please without any regard to God's law at all. You know, because, again, we're not under law. And I, we, again, let's get it clear. We're not under law. We're under grace. But the idea that I'm under grace and so, therefore, I can do anything I want to do, there's a, there's a problem there. Now, theologically, I'm under grace. I have freedom in Jesus Christ. I could go out, grab a bottle of whiskey, fall all over the place outside, uh, you know, rob a bank and do whatever else. And I'm still going to heaven because I'm under grace. Okay? I understand that. But the problem is the attitude of a lot of Christians today is I'm under grace. I'm not under law. Therefore, I can do and abuse anything I want to do, go anywhere I want to go, do anything I want to do, have no concern about it because, of course, grace is my fire insurance in order to get to heaven, and that's really what it boils down to. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12, Paul talked about this. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We died to sin. See, we, we talk about grace but we don't really understand what it means because if we don't understand law, then we don't understand grace. We don't know what we've, we've been saved from. When I got saved, I was 18 years old. Senior year of high school, I lived in darkness, okay? When I came to Jesus Christ, I knew what light was and I knew what darkness was. I knew what I was saved from. I knew what God saved me out of. It was a clear delineation between right and wrong, good and bad. I knew darkness and light. A lot of times in our Christian walk, all of a sudden we get down the road in our Christian walk, and instead of darkness and light, we get this kind of like a murky gray fog. And, and, our, and our culture is telling us, well, that's not it. It used to be wrong. It's not wrong now. Everything's okay now. It used to be this, now it's this. And so we get in this foggy gray area. Many in the church, my friends, can't even honestly really... They can't name the Ten Commandments, and, they, and they, they don't understand their New Testament explanation and application. They, we just don't know it. We've drifted. We don't, we don't understand it. And if we don't understand the Ten Commandments, we don't understand God. We don't understand what he's laid out for us in the Word of God and, and, and what he saved us from, from our sinful nature, then it's really difficult to understand the power of grace and what God has done for you. It's difficult to be in awe of God and his grace. And if Jesus Christ hung on the cross and his death was so amazing, but if you're thinking, well, I was pretty decent. I'm a pretty, you know, I'm a good person. 
and, and I don't really do anything that, that wrong. And I mean, sin is not that big of a deal. And this behavior is not that. And, and Jesus, what, then what's grace? What, is, what did Jesus die for? A couple of decent people really don't do anything wrong and don't want to really rock the boat. So how great is grace? If you don't understand the internal workings of your own life and your sin nature, you don't understand the law, you don't understand what you've been saved from, then you certainly don't understand grace. And so your Christian life is not going to be where it needs to be. Now, I want to start just by, uh, as we go through the series, I want, to, I want to start out by looking at four ways that the Ten Commandments can be used in our spiritual walk. Four, four ways that, and I'll, we'll go through these pretty quickly, but four ways that the Ten Commandments can be used in our spiritual walk. And then we're, next week, we're going to get into the commandments themselves. This morning, we're going to kind of lay out a foundation. The first one is the commands reveal the character of God. The Ten Commandments reveal the character of God. When we study the Ten Commandments, we find out what our God is like. We find out what he's like. Who is this God that we worship? Each command reflects the moral nature of God. So as we study the Ten Commandments, you begin to understand what God is like. You want to worship God? You truly want to be excited about God? You want to have a passion for God? You want to be relentless for God? You need to know what he's like. You need to fall in love with him. You're not going to... listen. 30% of the American people are not going to die for a God they don't know. Spare me. We're not going to die for a God. We're not going to listen to a God we don't know. We're not going to worship a God that we don't know. So first, it helps us to understand who God is. Second, they work as a restraint to the sinful desires of our culture. This, This is just true. They work as a restraint. The Ten Commandments are a restraint to the sinful desires in our culture. Romans 3.20 tells us this, Therefore, no one will be ter- declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. As we, as we look at our own lives and, and through the law that God gives us, as he points out what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, it, 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 makes, our, it, it, it makes us conscious of, our, conscious of our own sin. We understand that. And so that's one of the things that it helps us to do. You know, when, when you know that there's an absolute standard for right and wrong, it helps convict the most rebellious in our culture. When, when, our, when a culture says outright, even if you're not, a, you know, a follower of Jesus, but when a culture says there are standards for right and wrong, there is, there, there is good and there's evil, there's right and there's wrong, and here's what's right and here's what's wrong, here are the standards, there, there, there's an internal, there's an internal uh, speaker in each one of us that helps us and guides us. It's, it's, it's God. And as a culture, as a culture holds to those commandments, it's a deterrent to those in our culture who would try to prey on others. But as culture deteriorates, some of those folks, they, they go from, I don't have much of a conscience, to they dull their conscience, to people who sear their consciences. You've said before, I can't see how anyone could do that to another person. You know why they can do it to another person? Because they've dulled their conscience and ultimately they seared their conscience. And when a conscience is seared, a human being can do just about anything. And it starts as we, as we walk away from what God has called us to do. There's a unique simplicity in God's commands that penetrate every aspect of human thought and action. My friends, 
they keep the conscience sensitive. The Ten Commandments keep the conscience sensitive. It keeps us thinking through that there is right, there is wrong. There is a moral law that we all hold to. There's a moral standard that God has laid out and it keeps our conscience sensitive. The bottom line is that the Ten Commandments serve society well because they, they, they stand against our sinful nature. They're a deterrent against our sinful nature. Third, they reveal the unrighteous motives of our hearts. Now, have you ever wondered why people don't want the Ten Commandments now posted in, in public buildings? And if you turn this into a political thing, it's not a political thing. You say, well, because they're all liberals. That's why those liberals don't want those Ten Commandments. Or because they're all, they, they, want, they just want separation of church and state which they don't understand at all so what that meant in the beginning. We won't get into that now, but that's what they're saying. But that's not really the issue. That's not really what the problem is. The problem is it reminds them how they failed to measure up to God's demands. They failed in that area. They, they, would, ra- they, would, rather, they would rather not be reminded of it. They prefer ignorance to truth. Why? And this is important. Why would you prefer ignorance to truth? This is important because this ties together. Because the Ten Commandments are essential to the gospel. The Ten Commandments are essential to the gospel. There's a, there, there's, a, there's a road that leads there. Apart from the law, one cannot understand the gospel. And apart from the gospel, one cannot love and appreciate the law. There is, there is, a, there is a trail that leads here. There's a trail that goes. There, there, if, if we don't understand the Ten Commandments, like I said before, and you don't understand the sinful nature then it's hard, for, it's hard for people to be led to Christ. Led, because what, God, I, I'm a good person. I don't need a savior. I don't need anything. But what happens is the law makes us conscious of our own sin, which leads us to a point where we realize there's a separation between a holy God and sinful people. And we are drawn to Christ. As the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, we're drawn to him. If you can eliminate, if you can, if you can, if you can focus as a, as, a, as a kind of a battle scheme, if you can eliminate the law, if you can take that out of culture, if you can move it out and try to chisel it off all the walls in Washington, take it off the money, and I'm not going to get into, you know, but take it off in God we trust, but slowly erode all of that away. There's something more important here. It's not just taking God off the money. What, what the Ten Commandments do is they make people conscious of, conscious of their own sin. And as they're conscious of their sin, they start looking to a God and start understanding, God, I, I know that I am not where I should be. I don't need, seriously, you don't need a pastor or a Bible to tell you you're a sinner, okay? If you're here for the first time in church, just get in your car on the way out. Let someone cut you off. Watch your reaction, okay? Come on, you drive every day. You, 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 ask your wife if you're a sinner, okay? That's all I want to tell you. Ask your wife. All right. Ask your kids if you're a sinner. So you don't need me to tell you that. But what happens is when when they try to pull the Ten Commandments out, what they're doing is something more insidious. It's more hideous because the Ten Commandments make us conscious of our sin, which leads us to a holy God and a relationship with him. And if they can take that away, then they can pull more people away from the love and the compassion and the mercy of God. And that's what that really is all about. That's what it's all about. See, the law opens our eyes to the sinful condition of our hearts. So we recognize what Paul already knew. He said, what a wretched man I am in Romans chapter 7. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
What a wretched man I am, Paul said. What a wretched man I am, law. How did he know he was wretched? What a wretched man I am, law. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Jesus Christ will. Grace. Law and grace. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me? And I'm not beating up on everybody and calling you names and saying you're all bad people. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we're all born in sin. We're sinners. Some more than others, okay, but we're all sinners, all right? We don't have to make levels here. Don't poke in the person next to you. Paul said, what a wretched man I am. Law, who will rescue me? Who will rescue me? That's the question. When you recognize who you are, you ask the question, who will rescue me? Grace, Jesus Christ, death on a cross. It has significance. It has power. Finally, the Ten Commandments teach us how to live a holy life. How we are supposed to live a holy life, they tell us how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. Remember that when they asked Jesus, what is the greatest you know, law? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God. That's what they teach us. The Ten Commandments teach us how to love God and how to love our neighbor. How to love God and how to love the people around us. See, the Ten Commandments, my friends, lead us to a choice, a choice of loving God. There are choices that we have to make. When we understand the Ten Commandments, when we understand how, how grace, how, how law and grace fit together, then we have that, that relationship. We're pulled, we're pulled into a place where we need to make a choice. And that's what, we, that's what needs to happen. Each one of us at some point need to make a choice. Now, there's more than just, there, there's something going on here because it's, this is not just an Old Testament, New Testament thing. The Old Testament, we have the, the Ten Commandments because the Bible tells us that the law, God's law, has been written on our hearts. So we have the Ten Commandments in the Word of God, we read it, but God also placed those on our hearts, Old Old Covenant, New Covenant. So in the Old Testament, we have Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, it says this, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts. I will write, uh, I will write it on, uh, I'm sorry. I will put my law on their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then the New Testament in Hebrews 10, 16 and 17, it echoes that. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And he adds, and their, uh, their, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. Now, if we, if we go back to, if we kind of can go back to, um, to chapter 19 for a second, I want to give a little background. Chapter 19 helps us to see what's taking place here. What's going on here, this, this, whole, this, whole, this whole concept. God had redeemed Israel from bondage in Egypt, okay? Parts the sea, people go through the sea, they're in the wilderness and they get to Mount Sinai. So they're at Mount Sinai and, 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 and the Bible says, and Moses told them this, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. God was revealing himself to Israel. So God then, through Moses and the Ten Commandments, is revealing himself to Israel. 
And so the people come up to Mount Sinai and there's a place where they cannot come. There's a boundary to, to make sure they recognize their sin and God's holiness. There's a boundary. So the people come up and they see the smoke billowing and they see they, they, the thunder and lightning and the, the, the trembling, the mountain trembling, violently trembling. And it's, a, it's to recognize that there's a separation between sinful man and a holy God. And so Moses then brings the Ten Commandments. At that point, at that point when, when there's that recognition of the holiness of God, and see, this is what we're missing in our culture, this, in our Christian culture, the separation between a holy God and sinful people. And, you know, we talk about how we can enter into the Holy of Holies and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can enter into God's presence. And we talk about like, like it's no big deal. But here in the Old Testament, before Christ they couldn't, they could not walk into the presence of God. They were sinful people. They could not be in the presence of God. There was a separation there. There was a separation between them. And, and then at that point where, where, where Moses brings down the, the Ten Commandments and the people recognize it, it's, it's like then God speaks. We have a God who speaks, a God who wants to have a relationship with us. And so he speaks. And this is amazing. In that moment that he speaks, he wipes away all their false ideas and their thoughts and their opinions and their perspectives that were brought about by 400 years in captivity in Egypt. He wipes away those, those, those concepts, those, those characteristics that people, like the, the negative thoughts that people had about God's character. 400 years and so God speaks and begins to put away all their idols and all their superstitions and all their false gods and all the things that would keep them from understanding who their God was, the true character of God. Their picture was distorted by all the experiences and, and all the culture that they were a part of. Does that sound like anybody that you know? Their picture of God was distorted by years and years and years of their culture and false idols that they set up for themselves. And God was saying, God spoke to them. God spoke to them and reminded them of who he was. So they could have that relationship with him. We have a God who speaks. We have a God who reveals himself throughout history. In, he, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, and in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. God spoke to Israel through the Old Testament. He spoke to them. He verbally spoke. Not many times, but he spoke. God spoke to this world. People say, well, if, there, if there's a God, why doesn't he just come down here and blah, 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 blah. He did in Jesus Christ. He spoke. He spoke to the world in Christ. God speaks to us today in his word. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, primarily through the word of God. God speaks. We have a God who speaks. We have a God who wants us to understand who he is, to come into close relationship with him. In the Ten Commandments, we have his personality, his character, his attributes, his will, his purpose for creation, all of those things speaking to us about who God is, about who he is. We begin to learn that our God is a holy God. Our God is a pure God. 
Our God is a faithful God. The Ten Commandments teach us that about our God, that He is pure, that He is holy, that He is faithful. On the other hand, they also probe our minds and our hearts, exposing how unfaithful we are, how ungodly sometimes we are, how impure sometimes we are. Now, does that mean the Ten Commandments were given to us by God to kind of beat up on us and, and torment us and tell us how, what a bunch of sinners we are? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What the Ten Commandments do, they give us and they show us the act of God's grace. It is the greatest expression of God's grace because when we understand law, then we understand grace. The law is God's way of expressing his love and grace to us to draw us back to a redeemer. The law, the Ten Commandments, are God's way of saying, I love you. I want you to recognize that we're separated, that, that we don't have a relationship. And that, that expression, that love and that grace that God lays out draws us back to our Redeemer, draws us back to our Savior, draws us into a closer relationship with Him. If we put it in the New Testament terms, law always draws us to the cross. God's law draws us, always draws us to the cross. It draws us to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want this series to draw each one of us closer to the cross. That's what it's all about. It'll be a very practical series. Can't help it. When you talk about thou shalt not lie, okay, it's going to be pretty practical, all right? I mean, I wish you would invite your children. This is going to be a great series to invite kids to, okay? If you're struggling in some area, great series to invite kids to. Great series to invite people to because you can get into topics that are relevant to our culture today, to what we're struggling with in our families today. And I want this series to help us understand the grace of God. I want it to lead to peace and joy and contentment in our lives as we truly seek out a relationship with him and start, stop being kind of lukewarmish and kind of gray and kind of middle of the road. Because you know what happens to people who stand in the middle of the road? They get run over, right? And God's saying, I love you way too much to see you run over and run over and run over and run over. Law is good, my friends, because it leads us to the cross. It leads us to grace. And in grace, we find peace. We find joy. We we find contentment. You want to be where the rain ends? Seriously? You want to be where the rain ends? This, This series that follows that series will help us in walking to a place where we can truly have a relationship with God that leads to peace and joy and contentment through whatever we're going through. Whatever we're dealing with. Because grace, you know, we want grace. We want, we want the grace of God. But grace is really of no value to the man who doesn't, or the woman or the child or teenager who doesn't understand God's law. We need to understand truly who we are in relationship to God and allow that God to speak to our hearts. You know, you, want, you really want to have, see your child changed? They need to learn to train their conscience. Something we're missing in our culture. We don't talk about this anymore. Talking about the heart, talking about the conscience and how God speaks to our conscience, how we can make our conscience sensitive to the Holy Spirit. How can we make our conscience sensitive to God? That's what we're going to be learning about. That's what God's going to teach us. 
how to walk with him in holiness, how to walk with him in purity, how to walk with him in righteousness, which leads to everything that you and I truly desire for our lives. The world will tell you opposite, my friends, but that's the lie, a lie from the pit of hell. Where we get peace, where we get joy, where we get contentment is in a relationship with Jesus Christ as we understand who he is and we understand the relationship between law and grace. Let's bow our heads.